We have three Bible readings today. John 8, 1-12, 1 John 1, 9 to 1 John 2, 2, and Romans 6, 22-23. And I'll read them out as one passage. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought on a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand up before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write to this so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God. Well, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. We're continuing on with some 
basically just some cameos from Jesus, promises of Jesus in John's Gospel. And today I want to talk about Jesus, the forgiver of the fallen. Jesus, the forgiver of the fallen. I think the issue of our fallenness and our forgiveness is quite perplexing. Uh, because on the one hand, we've just celebrated our, the symbols of our forgiveness. And uh, we do that regularly here, of course, as a Church of Christ in our movement. And that's very comforting. And yet we live, I think, on a continuous basis with the wrestle that goes on within our lives with the battle with sin. And so we seem to be in wrestling with the idea that I'm, I'm, we're sinful, we're falling short, we're not only doing the sins of commission but the sins of omission. And so even if you're not very good at sin, you're probably still sinning. You know? And if you're not doing much, you're probably sinning. So we've got, we're, you know, you can't win, can you? You've got thoughts of the uh, sins of the thoughts, sins of the mouth, sins of the actions. This, we're pretty bad, really. And so we live in this, um, we live in this dualistic kind of space, I think, where we recognise our own fallenness, and yet at the same time we profoundly underscore and proclaim our forgiveness. I think there's some things going on in here and I want to share what they might be. Uh, one of the things that one of the components in our struggle with sin and our own headspace is that there is an enemy. There is an enemy. And he likes to bring accusations against the people of God and he likes to get in our headspace. And uh, here's some references this is Satan. He is the accuser. That's what he's called in the Bible. One of his many titles is the accuser. He accu who accuses us before the throne of God based on our sin and he does it day and night. I tell you what, I, I probably do enough to keep him there probably day and night myself. Uh, Revelation 12.10, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. One of the things as you battle with sin, one of the things that we will wrestle with is the fact that there are constant accusations coming into our brain from the accuser. And so one of the voices that you hear is not only a God, spirit inspired, conscious, but one of the voices that you will battle with the Christian is that there are demonic accusations coming in and there's a reason behind it. I'll tell you what's going on here. Uh, that one. That one. Uh, the accuser, this is what he wants to happen. Uh, we've got we, we sin, we feel guilty, and there's guilt. Now, what flows out of that? What flows out is that he's got a plan. He wants us to feel undeserving. And so when he gets in your headspace, look at the sequence of this. He wants you to feel undeserving. He wants you to say, you're guilty. You are guilty. You have done the right thing. You've said the wrong thing. You've thought the wrong thing. You haven't done the right thing, and that's a sin. You've done nothing, and that's a sin. Should have done the right thing. You've fallen short. Undeserving, unforgiven, unworthy, uh, unloved and useless. He wants us in that headspace. 
And he wants to keep on hammering us with all the things that we've done, the myriad of things that we've fallen short with God. That's his plan to keep us in the headspace. What's his goal? His goal is he wants to deceive us that we're in fact we are undeserving, unforgiven, unworthy, unloved and useless. He wants that deception planted firmly in our brain. So if you're walking around as you're wrestling with sin and you're feeling some of that undeserving, unforgiven, unworthy, unloved and useless kind of thing, that's coming from the enemy. Because it's not true. He wants to deceive you that that's the situation. He wants you to feel disqualified from doing anything useful for God and he wants to debilitate you. He wants you to feel so bad about yourself. He wants you to feel stuck in sin and condemned So he can, because if he can do that, he can immobilise the body of Christ for the mission of this world. If he can do that, he can immobilise us because you're, you're sitting there and saying, I'm useless. I'm hopeless. I've got nothing to offer. I'm unloved. I'm unforgiven. If you're sitting here saying that, he has won because he has made you debilitated and unable. And that's, of course, God has given us a great mission and ministry. We have a mission and ministry. And that is what Satan is trying to shut down. And he does it with accusations. He's trying to shut down the ministry and the mission of Jesus on earth. And he does that constantly by accusations. But we've got an accuser, but we've also got, of course, an advocate. Jesus who pleads our case. This is what the scripture says in Romans 8.34. Who is it then who condemns us? No one. Hmm. No one. Because Jesus pleads our case before the Father day and night. Christ who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God. And what's he doing? He is interceding for us. So we bring our things to God and he intercedes for us to God on our behalf. We know the Holy Spirit takes our pathetic words and unjumbles them and makes them sensible in God's sight. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always does what? He lives to intercede for us. And so what we've got as we struggle with our life, as we struggle with sin, we've got an advocate. We've got Jesus. We've got the intercessor himself uh, advocating. And what's his plan for us? It's certainly the opposite of uh, Satan's plan. That's his plan. Is, is The advocate's got a different plan. Yes, there is sin. Yes, we feel guilty. Yes, we are in guilt. Okay. So what do we do with that? Here's God's plan. It's completely different. This thing's a little red button. Look at that. I love this. Who can see that? Okay. His plan is that, yes, we should feel conviction, but the conviction should lead to confession. Confession should lead to repentance. Repentance will lead to restoration. And that leads to resumption of the mission and ministry in God and life. Can you see the difference? One wants you trapped in accusation and guilt. And here's Jesus. Yes, we go through this process. It is a continual process, a daily process, a weekly process. We understand this process in our lives. That's what the Lord's table reminds us of. So we go, that's the plan of God. What's his goal? His goal is that he wants you to feel. He wants you to feel unconditionally loved, utterly forgiven, eternally secure and continually useful. 
Everyone I'm looking at in this building today, that's how God sees you, right? Hallelujah. You're forgiven. The advocate's there. I just want to declare that to you again because I don't think it's sunk in. Are you ready for it? Get excited. This is how God sees you. Prepared for it? Getting excited? Always got excitement down the front here. Praise the Lord. Catch some of that. It'll do you good. You are unconditionally loved. You are utterly forgiven. You are eternally secure and you are continually useful because you are under the grace of God. You have Jesus. He is the forgiver of the fallen. You say, I am fallen. He says, I am the forgiver of the fallen. That's what I have come to do. He is the forgiver of the fallen. Uh, God is the one. He, God uses great sinners greatly. And that's good news, isn't it? Because I'm looking out and I can see a few great forgiven people. You're looking at a great sinner right now, so don't you laugh. You're looking at one right now, he's preaching. God uses great sinners greatly. Are you ready? Here's just a few of them from the Bible. Great sinners God used greatly. Noah the drunk. Yet he undertook an epic task of obedience which took years in, years in which he saved the family and the world as we know it. Used by God. Abraham the liar. Read the story. It's all there. Founded the global family of faith of which we are a part. Rahab the pagan prostitute. She became a woman of faith. She's in fact listed as a hero of faith in Hebrews 11 and she is the ancestor. Rahab, the pagan prostitute of King David and of Jesus Christ himself. Not always the lineage of Israel. Samson, the covenant breaker, used to deliver Israel from their arch enemy, the Philistines, broke his covenant with God, spilled the beans about his covenant, but he died a war hero and he delivered the people. Then, of course, we've got King David, the murdering adulterer, who ruled Israel well, penned the Psalms, had a heart for God, and probably the greatest king in all the Bible, the murdering adulterer that he was. Because why? What's the great news? We've got a God who is the forgiver of the fallen, who uses great sinners greatly. We've got Jonah, the disobedient coward. He ran away from God and then he preached a hard message to a hard people, reluctantly, and he saw 120,000 people get saved, repenting in dust and ashes. We've got the Samaritan woman who had a succession of five partners. She became an outspoken witness for Jesus and led many to Jesus so that they might meet him and believe in him for themselves. We've got Mary Magdalene, out of who? Seven demons, the Bible tells us, was delivered. She became delivered from, but delivered to. Delivered from the power of demonic and delivered to Jesus as a disciple. And then, of course, you've got Paul, uh, the persecutor of Christians, uh, an accessory to murder in the book of Acts, became the greatest missionary to the Gentiles. He wrote a staggering 12 of the 27 books of the New Testament. Persecutor, accessory to murder. And this is what he has to say for himself. This is his testimony. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus 
came into the world to save sinners. And then we can all say the rest of it because we all identify. To save sinners of whom I am the worst. I was going to get you to nudge the person next to you and say, isn't that true in your life? But I won't. How many people sometimes feel like that? You ever feel like that? You know objectively you're probably not. But how many people feel like that in their life? That, wow, hey, look, I just feel like I'm, I feel like I'm the worst that's going around. Well, the great news that's worthy of full acceptance, that Jesus, the forgiver of the fallen, has come into this world to save sinners. And if sometimes you feel the most sinful, the greatest, the chief of sinners, sometimes the translations say, if that's what you feel, the great news is that you are absolutely the target mark of Jesus' mission on earth was to come in and to save sinners because Jesus is the forgiver of the fallen. And here we have this very well-known and often lauded uh, passage about this woman that's caught in adultery. I can never help but mention to say, where's the bloke? I would have said that was too involved in this sin. But no, no, he's been given the get out of jail free card in this, I could go on, society in which they lived. So somehow she's going to be held to account unfairly by herself. I would have thought the two people should be held to account. Just picking up from verse 7. And so we see some things about Jesus. Note, I'm going to draw three threads out of this passage about Jesus. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to cast a stone at, at uh, her. See, what is Jesus doing here? He is the defender. Uh, this woman was guilty, it would appear. It would appear that she is guilty. They're trying to set Jesus up, no doubt, and get him to say and do things that he shouldn't do. And so what happens is that they want this public execution thing to be ratified by Jesus and to possibly go ahead. But what Jesus does is he, he's very thoughtful. He's thinking. He's so far ahead of this trap. that he, I'd love to know what he wrote on the ground, by the way. <laughs> Scholars, they, this wax on these things, you know, you could just, you just lose yourself in the research over that. We don't know. That's the reality. We don't know. But he, takes, he, he, he buys some time and he thinks about this circumstance. And do you know what? Here's this crowd and here's this woman and here's Jesus. He just steps right in them. He just separates the two parties. He separates, he separates this woman and he separates the crowd and Jesus becomes the defender of the fallen. Friends, you have a defender of the fallen even when you're guilty. Jesus will step in for you into the breach and he will be your defender, he will be your advocate, he will be your forgiver, and he will not let the accusations of anyone or any being come against you and find their mark. Because he is the defender of the fallen and the forgiver of the fallen. So he's there, he steps in, and then of course he disarms this bomb. He says, let anyone who is without sin cast the first stone. And what age group left first? Why do the older people leave first? Oh, yeah. 
because they're looking back down the track record. How many people understand that, what I'm talking about here this morning when you're looking down the track record? Not that the younger, I can't use this illustration in this evening's service because they'll have no idea, but our sins kind of look like the yellow pages, right? There's a fair few of them from A to Z, isn't there? I can't use that this morning. They've got no idea tonight. Who knows what I'll say tonight? So there he is. He's the defender of the fallen. And then he says, woman, in verse 10, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? No one, she said. Well, he says what? Neither do I or neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. And so what do we draw out of that? Here's a few things that we can draw out. Mm-hmm. Have I got another slide? No. Do I have another one? That's the end of it, isn't it? Okay. One more. There we go. So we've got Jesus the defender, Jesus the forgiver, and Jesus the change bringer. Jesus the defender says, let him who's without sin amongst you be the first to cast a stone at him. He's in there. He steps in for us. When we feel accused, when our minds and our our brains accuse us, he's going to lead us to repentance and life. But when the accusation, he steps in. We have an advocate. We have a defender. We have a forgiver that says, neither do I condemn you, even when we are guilty. And then here's the Jesus, the change bringer, who says, go and sin no more. And uh, in our little sheet of readings from 1 John 1, 9, and I'm going to pray over this in a minute. If we confess our sins, because that's where he wants us to get to, confession, repentance, forgiveness and restoration. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Then down in chapter 2, my dear children, I write this, that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, mm -hmm, yes, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just want to acknowledge today, as we look upon this wonderful passage, that uh, Jesus Christ is in fact the forgiver of the fallen, and we are the fallen. He is the forgiver of the chief of sinners, the worst of sinners, and sometimes, Lord, we feel like that. And so we find that the Holy Spirit, Lord, brings us to confession, brings us to repentance, brings us to the promises of restoration, forgiveness, and in fact, rejuvenation to the ministry and mission of Jesus in this world. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that Jesus is the one who declares, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more because he is Jesus, the forgiver of the fallen. Friends, never forget, you are unconditionally loved, utterly forgiven, eternally secure and continually useful.